Blog Talk Radio. If I speak for your followers, and I speak for your ex-followers, and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that's bad, yep. wrong. Absolutely believed his own bullshit. Now, does that mean he believed it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist. Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Yeah, I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in Scientology. We're crossing the line into torture. Do you think there is a rape culture in Scientology? I think that there is a culture in Scientology that children are not children. So, yeah. All right, welcome to Come Get Some Extra Scientology Edition. Today with a young lady that uh, I'm so proud to have interviewed, and I'm actually so proud of her for the way she conducted herself in the interview. She's, she's an amazing lady, and she's making a difference. Uh, sign of Kamula. Um, in this, this before award, in this podcast, among these discussions will be the topic uh, of suicide and, uh, and sexual assault, as well as of a child. Um, every time the subject of suicide comes up on this show, I post the suicide prevention hotline on the link of the podcast. I just want to say, if for any reason you have doubts about whether you want to do this or not, or even if you want to do this, if you want to take your own life, please, please call the suicide prevention hotline first, 1-800-273-8255. It's 24 hours, and it's posted in the link to the podcast. It it doesn't have to happen that way. Um, More people qualified than me can talk to you about that. I've also posted a link uh, to Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Augustine's petition to revoke tax exemption for Scientology. Always, and when I post that link, it's still uh, people know you can make a difference. People wonder what they can do. You can make a difference. Put your name in that petition. Hopefully, that petition leads to some action being taken by the IRS commissioner. Uh, without further ado, let's just get right into this. Here's the interview uh, with Sina Kumbula. Okay, today I have a young lady who was on the first episode of Season 2 of Scientology in the Aftermath with Leah Remini. Today I have Sina Kumbula. Am I saying your name right? Yes, you are. <laughs> oh, thank you for coming on, Sina. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, no problem. You know, um, you know we talked a little bit in chat, and uh, and I know that you've had, um, you've told a lot of, of stuff on television, on national television for everyone to hear that was uh, probably not real easy for you to do and um, a lot of it didn't make the air just because of TV time and, and other things you might want to talk about that stopped you from being able to air that. Um, so today we'll talk about everything you want to talk about. Okay. Do you have any specific route? I mean, there are so many things. I know that there's only so much air time that they have. Right, right. Uh, so we missed, I mean, they give like a little tidbit of the education aspect. I mean, there's just so much that we lack in education and things that happen there. Uh, there's a lot more in regards to my story and like why I lack Scientology and, you know, a little bit more dark stuff. But, uh, okay. Well, I don't have any limitations. Start. Sure thing. I have no limitations, whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, we'll start with uh, the beginning. I mean, you the, the only thing you've ever known was Scientology uh, growing up, right? Yeah. I was actually a Thursday before two baby. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Thursday before two. But it's basically the crunch time. It's where there's statistics oh, God. before everything. I knew it would be a stat. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, because I was in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, my godfather supposedly, I don't know if the executive director of the Stockholm War, but the person that was at the time was my godfather. And my mother was in labor for a while, I was supposed to come out on September 11th on a Wednesday. But uh, by Thursday morning, 
not coming out. So my godfather basically told my mom, like, hey, you know, she needs to come out Thursday before two. Oh, my God. And my mom loves telling me this story. She's like, and you were said to forty. you came out at one forty-eight p.m. And I'm just like, oh, God. Like, I know it's a funny story to her, but for me, I'm just like, oh, it's triggered. Oh, my God. She screwed the stats up. <laughs> oh, you you just made it. <laughs> yeah, I just made it. But again, that's just kind of like my introduction to the world. What a way. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of instability. Um, my mom worked at the Stockholm Org for a while, and I actually didn't find this out until recently when I went to Finland. But basically, uh, she was trying to get back to Finland, and, you know, the Stockholm Org at the time kept loading workloads on her. And she's a really nice person. She doesn't like saying no. She kept on not being able to come to Finland and, like, get the support of raising me. So my grandmother had to go from Finland to Sweden and basically go to the org and tell them, I'm not leaving without my daughter and grandchild. Wow. And... Yeah, so that's how we went to Finland, and, you know, I got to meet the rest of my family, learn Finnish um, for a few years anyway, and then my mom was working at the mission in Finland, uh, they needed translators, like it was on the show, anyway, so they basically took her out to Copenhagen, um, but before that, you know, even when my mom was working at the mission, all I remember is my grandma raising me, I don't remember my mother too much. My grandmother was kind of much different. Um, but I was stuck at the babysitters, and there was some sex abuse that happened there as well, even before the ACA incident, which I spoke about on the show. Right. Uh, and my mom apparently knew about it. That's what the babysitter said. Like, just, you know, they had a rule that, you know, the, the daughter of the babysitter, who was the one molesting me, uh, was to stay away from me. But that didn't happen, and so there was more abuse that happened, and that happened over a case of. I mean, at least a month, if not months. So, um, that kind of set me up for also the behavior and what happened at the day with combat with the teacher. Um, so, you know, it's already like when you've already known that your mom's not going to do much about it, and you're also taught that you're, you know, pulling stuff in, it's a little more rough. Um, it's a victim of child abuse. How old were you at the babysitters? And how old was the daughter, if I might ask? Fourteen. Oh, God. Okay. So she knew better. And her sister came, you know, found us, basically, in bed. Um, And that's when it kind of came out. And yet... Nothing happens from it. Nothing happens. And I remember, and it's a really kind of embarrassing story, but something I thought out there... It's embarrassing because at the time I felt so, like, ashamed about it, but at the same time, like, based on what was happening, like, I remember trying to, one time, like, French kiss my mom because, you know, the babysitter's daughter was having me do this, and I thought it was normal. Oh, my God. And, like, that should have been a red flag. Like, I don't know. If that had been a child trying to do that to me, I would have been like, where did you learn that? Like, what? What are you trying to do? You know, and I'd get to the bottom of it. I don't know. It was just one of those things that was another red flag, you know, um, that, that probably should have been caught, but... How would you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, well, as an adult, you should know. As a kid, oh, yeah, as an adult should know, yeah. You know, so it's little things like that. There were always little red flags, and it's not something that, like, even before the show, I tried to talk to my mother about it so many times. I really wanted to have, like, I didn't want to make her wrong for it. I didn't want to make her feel guilty necessarily, but I needed to, like, have a discussion about it, at least. And it was always like, you know, you're being antagonistic, and, like, you can't, you know, you're whatever. And so it just never got anywhere with her. Um, which was one of the reasons I decided to speak on the show, because I'm not the only person that had things happen. And some people have worse things happen, but they have people that they need to kind of stay under the radar for, you know, with Scientology. So I thought it was important for us 
speaking up for us. Of course. Yeah, so that's why Miriam and I spoke out. Uh, there's definitely, you know, kind of a rape culture, you know, within Scientology. I know it's everywhere. It's very pervasive in society in general. Right. Okay. So I was dealing with that while I was abroad, and 
I was just running into like roadblock after roadblock and basically being told it was pointless and I don't have a corroborating story and the, you know they refused to go after this person and so it was all essentially a joke you know that's how I felt and it didn't go anywhere and it would just rehash all of the trauma without any resolution or without any so um so dealing with that, and then just uh, dealing with that, um, it was a lot, and you know, I got some treatment, intensive therapy, and stuff like that, and it's been a lot better. But then I found that my dad just passed. Sorry to hear that. He's he's the one who got my mom into psychology. Okay. And he was actually for a while in New York himself. He was the director of ASHK. Um, and, you know, he was very much all about that, and we were trying to kind of sort things out. I know he dealt with alcoholism, he had his own um, but he's still my father, you know, yeah. so there's that part of it, too, because now I'm trying to tell my mom, and I can't talk to my mom, I emailed her, no response, uh, and this is a time that it just kind of rehashes how horrible the connection is. And I know that that conditioning is that, like, your kids don't matter. Like, they're not really your kids. Yeah. Because um, this is a time I really could have used my mom. And it just reminds me of times, like, when my mom got married. I was at the ranch. And, like, she didn't even invite me to the wedding. She just told me after the fact that they got married. You know, during her husband. And, um, mm. I don't know what I'm, I'm, I'm going, I don't know where I'm going with Okay. You know, as an only child and having an estranged relationship now with only one parent, the other one dead, it just kind of, I don't know, it's upsetting. But I'm doing better in general. Um, it's dealing with life. Life is testing me a lot right now. Well, we're, we're, we're glad that you're still fighting. Um, there, there's, there's a lot to fight for, too, I think you'll find. Um, it's interesting. When I hear everything we've talked about so far, just to recap a little bit, um, it seems like the whole disconnection from the parent where you don't have a parent, the idea we get from your story is it starts with the ranch, but it doesn't. And yeah. um, I, I don't want people, you know, I'm no expert or anything, um I don't want people getting discouraged by what happened with your police reports, uh, because I think that's that's the thing is there needs to be more. There needs to be more police reports. There, there. You know, I'm not shaming anyone, saying you know, shame on you for not reporting. Uh, but maybe you can help me with this because you've been there. You are, you are living this. Um, do you think there is the mindset of, well, and I think you kind of said it a little bit, but like, I should be able to handle this. This is my thing. I'm not going to cause any trouble and report anyone, but then you don't realize that there's others probably. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I know there has to be a because I spoke with someone who's still a very much a hardcore Scientologist, and he disconnected from me, but I remember one person I told about this teacher, and they're like, oh, my God, I remember this one time I sat on his lap, and I, I ran away because something was poking me, and it, it hurt me. Didn't think about it until now. And it's like, this is one person out of, like, the few that I told. You know, so there has to be other stories. There just has to. There's not. So I agree with you in that. Like, I don't have any regrets speaking up for myself and following that police report. It's just aggravating to know that, you know, without a corroborating story, it just doesn't matter. It's very frustrating. But I'm not... I do recommend you know, people doing what they need to do. The thing about especially child abuse and child sexual abuse is that people have to do it in their own time. You cannot force something like this. Um, a lot of the times without the hardcore evidence is that he said, he said things, there's statute of limitations in certain states, there's so many, you know, obstacles to jump through that you have to be really resolved um, in getting justice. Uh, in order to speak up, but I do recommend for people, if they're ready to, you know, to get a support system and find a support group like I did. Um, you know, there's certain different groups 
that are there for adult survivors of child abuse. So. That's good. That's a good message. I wanted to ask you, I don't want to make you talk about it, uh, so we won't. Uh, I just wanted to ask uh, this, the suicide. Um, was that a Scientology one? Mm, no, but I mean, Aaron Poulin was one of my friend, like really good friends. Um, so the second episode where Marie talks about Aaron. You relate to. Okay. No, but him and I were extremely close in Thai West in September 2013. Wow. He passed away in 2014, which, you know, there is a little bit of guilt because I was so, you know, re- like, I was so excited to leave the ESO. I didn't think about, you know, the friends that I left behind that also wanted to leave. And that's something that, you know, going forward, I hope to, you know, either become a therapist or somehow, like, set up a support group for people who want to leave the safe place. Um, that's definitely something that's, you know, on the horizon for me. I that's really amazing. Sure that people have, yeah, you need to, like, make something that was horrible, you know, better for other people. Because it is freeing leaving, but then you realize that you're up again. And they want you to fail when you because that proves their point. That, you know, the law world is so degraded and so aberrated, but it's not, you know. It's a world full of color. It's not black and white. It is intriguing to me that no one who's ever left Scientology is a good person with good intention that wasn't a trouble source inside of Scientology. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Nothing bad happens. It's it's a perfect utopian world, apparently, is what they want everyone yeah. to think. Yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, the more you start looking at it, you see how much crazier it gets. Okay. Uh, what was it like at the at the ranch at the uh, was it the ATA was it? Well, the ATA was separate. Like the ATA was for the younger people, the older mm-hmm. people, people who moved up. You went to the ranch. Although the ATA closed down, I went to the ranch. But okay, I got you. I got um, you. Okay. And before that was the CEO, which I wasn't at the CEO. I was at the Paul Training Center, which is the blue gated area outside of Bridge Publications near Elridge Way. Um, oh. How was it? It was, it was, you know, like I said on the show, it's like Lord of the Flies. Like, it was just kind of mayhem. Like, it was, uh, I don't know. It was a shock for me, having come from Finland, where there was a lot of love and, you know, order and, it was, I don't know, just more peace. And I went, I remember going there, and my first introduction was some kids coming up to me and, you know, roughly pinching my butt. And then after that, just being bullied from being punched in the face to, like, being, you know, tag teams and yelled at and all that stuff. So. Kids, adults, or all of the above? All of the above? Um, well, this is the thing. It's like a lot of them were so emotionally abused and sometimes physically abused that they themselves have much control and so you know it's easy for the person that's being bullied to become become a bully so in retrospect I have a lot more empathy and compassion for everyone that was there because just seeing some of it people being spanked and like but like in abrupt ways that in front of people not even for elevated policy there is an elevated policy on spanking by the way I've Um, seen it oh god yeah, and, I'll post that. You know, like, you know, kids can punch in the face. That sometimes happens. There's kids that were, like, their mouths were washed out with soap, you know, like, they swore and just stupid stuff like that. But it's just, along with the abandonment of parents, that's very much on right now. So. so. So maybe you can confirm for me. I think I've heard people refer to the staff at these locations as, um, members of Scientology that were lower conditions already or couldn't function at a better or higher post. Does that sound about right? That's correct. People who couldn't make it on their jobs or their posts were then basically demoted and put in front of the kids. Although, I do have to say there were an exception or two. There were a couple of teachers that I felt were the same. Good. But that was very rare. Okay, so... They put out these, uh, they put out these, uh, these videos of people who claim to be your friends. 
and uh, Marianne's friends, and they talk about how they went swimming almost every day, and how fun it was to, to clean out, clean oh, the horses. Yeah. And... No, it doesn't matter that they didn't have an education, because guess what? We had marbles, and Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles, or whatever it's called. Did you, though? I saw them, and I laughed, <laughs>
you know, talking about it with Marion later, she was like, no, I didn't get any of the, the in-between the line stuff. Like, I really thought it was kind of disconnected. It was just like, oh my god, I'm really, yeah. But, that was the one time, and guess what, I felt so bad about that, that later, when, you know, they were kind of making disconnect from another good friend of mine, I was like, no, I'm not going to do that again. Because I know that they're a good person. You know, and I really went against my own integrity when trying to disconnect from that. So I'm never doing that again, much less I would never do a video trying to smear a person. I would just say no. I don't know how, I, I get that the church seems to have so much power over people, but you can say no and not do a video of people. I feel like you can do that, you might get in a little bit of trouble, but what are they going to do? nothing they can really do. You gotta think, there are people doing these videos right now who don't want to do them. They're doing them begrudgingly. And just to think the fear there must be and how there could be that kind of fear instilled from a church to make you do it that. Still, it's, it's a perceived threat. That's the thing. It's a perceived threat because they do threaten you. And I have some empathy and compassion because I've been but at the end of the day, all you have left is your own integrity. Like, everyone can strip things away from you, but your integrity is the most important, I think. And I I believe that if someone says to say something bad about someone you don't want to do it, you should fight for your integrity. You know? Right. Absolutely. Um, I kind of don't have any empathy, like, with the people that spoke out against me. And the people that spoke out against me. I was actually more upset for Marie than I was for myself at the videos that were basically saying she should look at herself and what she didn't provide Aaron in a marriage. And that made me furious. Yeah. I not talk to Vito like that. Aaron, I knew Aaron. Aaron would be so upset that she was being attacked like that. You know, he would not stand for that. Not only that, but then they kind of smeared him like, yeah, okay, fine, you got to pause the TV part. Guess what? We all made stupid mistakes. Some of them were caught. And guess what? I bet you that was probably his first time. He ended up getting caught. Whoa. Like, he was such a good person. That's just what happens. Sometimes you get caught doing stupid shit. Whatever. It doesn't make you a bad person. I, I've known people. Yeah, I've known people who pass under embarrassing circumstances. And I've never known anyone to make an attempt to publicize. If they don't find a Scientology, to publicize and, and try to make a statement about somebody based on that in, in death, that is uh, one of the lowest things I can think of. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. It's very low, especially if they passed away. You just cannot shoot the all of the dead. There's no point. There's no point. Trying to prove your own rightness, you know, which is what they're trying to do. Whereas, if they just took some accountability, guess what? We wouldn't see the thing for you. I wouldn't be this angry, you know? I, I think that's one of the reasons why people like me, like myself, who've never experienced this stuff and seen this stuff up close, that um, why we get angry, because we can see it. You know, like, well, I might believe you if there was one time where you said, oh, yeah, this guy did something and we took care of it with the law. You know? Right. But, but we never see that ever. And there's no way an organization that's supposed to have 10 million members, which it doesn't, it doesn't have some kind of bad things going on internally. Well, I mean, I'll tell you right now, there was one time I used to work near the you know, big blue building, and I was working out of someone's home, and there was a Scientologist that, you know, lived nearby, as a neighbor, and he attempted to commit suicide. He was this elderly gentleman, and we heard a shout, and by the time I ran over there, you know, it looked like a crime scene. It split his breath. It was just red everywhere. Um, no one had called the cops within minutes, you know, and so I called the cops. And I called 911, and basically the people that I work for asked me to clean it up. So I helped clean up this whole mess. My shoes were drenched in blood. You know, there's coagulated blood in the tub everywhere. And someone from AO, you know, Julian Schwartz, I don't know if I can name his name or not, but someone from AO basically came over and was like, sign out, like, don't talk about this stuff. What? What else did you do? Yeah. Don't, don't, yeah. 
And at the time, you know, I was battling the fence and I was kind of doing services and I was like, fine, not a big deal. But later, I was like, I got, you know, like I said, I had a delayed reaction. And like, that came up almost like, you know, a day or two later, I was thinking about that and I was looking at my French shoes that were silver, they were being flat and they were covered in blood and I had to look at them to throw them away and it just kind of hit me, like what I just what I just cleaned. It took me hours and hours and hours to clean it. You know, because it was in the carpet. It was it was everywhere. Um, and I just, you know, and this gentleman was the kindest person. You know, I came around and he was so nice. And I just didn't get it. Like, why not talk about that? I feel like suicide and, you know, mental illness and things like that, we need to talk about that. And I think that you can't just, like, push that under the rug. Like, oh, because you're trying to call this, you don't talk about that. Like, I, people ask me, like, why did you call 911? I was like, why wouldn't I call 911? You need a fucking insulin. Well, you violated a policy, didn't you? I don't care. I don't yeah, care. right. Someone, <laughs> someone who decided at the last minute they wanted to live, and that's what I saw. And yeah. so, what am I going to do? I'm going to call 911. I don't care that it means that an ambulance is going to come on all of a hundred days. Did they, they come up with a story for that? Did they give a story on him? I don't know. You never, never heard? The, the police came and, you know, people were talking to them. And I tried to go up and they're just kind of brushing me by. And I was like, okay. Like they kind of, you know, poo pooed me with their hands. You know, like little waiting gesture. You know, I've been in schools and workplaces where there's been um, suicides. And when that happens, there's usually like, oh, a time frame set aside and a meeting set up where everybody's included and they introduce you to counselors and, you know, talk to you about, about suicide and try to help people who might be affected by it because it makes other people think things. It's, it's, that's what you do, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what you do. You don't, they sweep it under a rug and then you wonder why there's so many stories. Exactly, and the thing is, it, what sucks the most, I think, for me, struggling with depression, major, de- you know, I have uh, major depressive disorder and complex PTSD. Um, so for me, you know, having been in Scientology, like I had things like panic attacks, I had sleep paralysis, I had night shows, I had all these things that were symptoms of some of the issues that I had, and I didn't even know about it until now. I didn't even know that my constant anxiety. I mean, worrying about everything and what that was. And it made so much more sense, you know, having gone through the therapy that I've gone through with the trauma, with the sex abuse, with the abandonment, with the, you know, instability of life in general as a kid. Um, it just made more sense and it let me figure out a way to recover and I do feel stronger now. Good. But in psychology, that's all, you know, that didn't happen. Anxiety is, isn't a condition. You know, depression is bullshit. Well, it was almost yeah. like the whole policy, everything that they write that uh, came from Laura Hubbard was designed to get you to the point to complete and total submission of yourself so that you won't have any thoughts of your own. Yeah. So you accept these things as the norm. And uh, yeah, I, mean, I, was, I was thinking about that because you, you mentioned it earlier, you know, uh, this kind of abuse exists everywhere. It's not, it's not specifically a cult thing or a Scientology thing, but it's huge in Scientology, it feels. Uh, more huge than I think we ever knew before people like yourself spoke up. Do you um, do you think there's a reason why it's more cultivating or more of a culture than Scientology? That's a really good question. I've actually thought about this and I've discussed this with my friends. Um, You know, there's different subjects to it, but I believe that the policy, you know, and Miriam made a point about this online as well with the whole, you know, that excerpt from Dianetics yeah. about how a child, you know, should be able to just, if she doesn't have engrams or, you know, she doesn't have a reactive mind, she shouldn't get grossed out if some old guy passes into the Right. But that's the thing. It's like, you know, by the age of seven, what's normal and what's not, on some level, you're still, you know, your mind's still forming. 
But I remember being eight years old. I mean, I remember even being six and being uncomfortable being asked to do things that, you know, should not be done. Like, I remember that. So, but by his logic, by Ellen Hubbard's logic in Dianetics, just from that excerpt alone, that means that, you know, I have ingrained. Right. I'm the one that's being reactive. No, it's not. It's a fucking pervert touching a child in a way that's inappropriate. And I believe just like animals can perceive things, you know, as humans, we have more consciousness and we know when something's not right or you know, right or wrong. It's a very black and white subject for me. It's like, that's just wrong. Yeah, you, you know. Yeah. It shouldn't be on the child. Like, why are you victims in that scenario? Um, so just things like that, and also with the fact that, you know, you pull things in. Um, another thing is on the tone scale. I know online there's a lot of talk about that. But, like, you can't, you know, some of my frustration with my own mother is, you know, you're being antagonistic or you're being less toned. and can't talk about this. Well, this is the thing about real life. You can't experience the great thing without the bad thing. Wow. Pretend like, you know, there's no negativity at all and for you not to feel your own emotions and to repress those. By doing that, you're repressing everything good as well. You become like this robot, you know, that doesn't feel anything. So, um, anyway, but in regards to the question about why intent policy, I just think with the whole, like, cause and effect and, like, you know, if you do something, you're going to create that effect, you know, things called TV flows, um, which he talks about in a lot of lectures, where a lot of people, you know, they want sex or they want attention, so they'll it's really hard to describe, and it sounds crazy, but, like, you basically beam people with energy so that they look at you, you know, and so... Wow. You're getting attention. You're truly flowing people. So, like, really, in a way, your energy created that. Does this go hand in hand with the whole pulling it in idea? Exactly. But there's also the thing, like, I remember being in a steward, and, like, because I wore red lipstick, and because I like to flirt. Like, I was a flirty little thing, but I was also hormonal. I was a girl, you know, like, mm-hmm. not even a woman yet. Like, and I remember being flushed. I remember being called a slut, and I was pretty flowing everyone. And that, you know, you know, I was going to get raped one day. Like I remember some random I don't remember talking about. And, like it was just that's the attitude that's there, you know. And I don't know. It's, uh, that's just, I can't even think with that attitude anymore. It's weird that I even subjected myself to that. Like looking back at it now, if anyone were to kind of try to put that on me, I would shut it down, but at the time, it was just all over. Good, good, good. I'll tell you, it's funny, it's not funny, but every time I hear an ex-scientologist talk like that, or any any ex-scientologist talks to me, and I, I hear that in them, that I don't know what I'm thinking, because that's not happening today ever or ever again, and that's the whole, yeah. you know, accepting things uh, that that should be unacceptable. Um, Absolutely. So, what I found interesting was you said you left in 2013. Did you route out or did you just let this cut clean? Oh, I'm sorry, not 2013, 2003. I don't know why I said that. 2003 is when I left left. Oh. I think I read that on the screen. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know. I always <laughs> said I'm kind of dyslexic with numbers. Um, <laughs> 
Well, I mean, three years. It's basically after the race that I was like, nope, not a sign positive. The fact that this guy can get auditing and I uh, get it that he's really strong and he doesn't remember. God, well, I don't go around killing people or like, you know, mowing down animals when I'm drunk. Like, is it? Right. I feel like that's a lot more about him. And it doesn't matter that he doesn't remember because I remember everything that happened. It was extremely violent. And the fact that he can get auditing just shows me that auditing doesn't work. Like, the more I think about it, I look at a few OT people and clear people, and they're a lot nasty. Like, not all of them. Some of them are amazing people. But, you know, some of them are just as bad as, quote unquote, wild people. You know, and that was one thing I always questioned. But now that I really see it, and my recourse, that's the thing about the rape. I was like, well, what can I do? I can't sue him because he's a psychologist. Like, that was one of my main things. Like, Miriam was like, go to the hospital. I called her. It was the day after. She was like, that was great. You need to go to the hospital. You need to go to the police. Like, you need to do this. And I was like, no, no, no. Because my first instinct at the time was, no, he's a Scientologist. I can't go to the cops. Wow. And because that's, that's all you know. Yeah. Because that would mean I would get declared. And I was like, I'm not having myself be declared because he already did this. Like, he already did, took away so much of my power that I'm not giving him anymore. And that was one of my, you know, reasonings with this. And Marion was like, it doesn't matter. You need to the cops. And I was like, no. And I decided to protect this individual for whatever reason. Well, I know for what reason. Because they have these rules in place that makes it so victims can't come forward. They want to handle everything internally. But I'm sorry, if there is a crime, it needs to be reported to the actual judicial system. They can't pretend to have their own internal judicial system. It doesn't work. You know? And it's not okay. If someone is molested as a kid, or if there's abuse, like I I knew of someone whose own father, who was online, who was getting auditing, this man had sex with his own fucking daughter. And he just had to get a bunch of sex jobs. And I remember thinking, why is he still here? Why isn't he in jail? Why? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Cover it up. This guy can pay money. So, of course, as long as he gets his confessionals and gets his ethics family, no, this guy should be in jail. Now, what happens to you? Now, what happens to you? Do you get... I know you're upset. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's not you. It's subject. Like it's no, I know. It's not okay that they do that. It's not. It's not. What happens to you at that point when you complain? You it? Yeah. As a victim, well, they're going to say, well, let's bring it to the chaplain, and then they're going to see. Like, it really depends. If a person has a lot of money and you don't, guess whose side doesn't take? I'm pretty sure they're going to take that other person. And they're just going to be like, well, let's, you know, we'll have them do an epic handling or, you know, buying an affidavit, like, saying, just like what they tried with Miriam or with other people, you know. Um, as a victim, you don't really have a lot of recourse. No. Because there is no justice. See, these are the things that I, I would hope, and I think Leah hopes and everybody involved hopes, law enforcement type people see when they see these reports. Um, this this can't be ignored. Um, these people involved in the process, they think they're doing, you know, right because it's what Elvon Hubbard said, but they're covering terrible, terrible crimes. Um, excuse me, citizens all speak doing some extreme things and they need to be held accountable. You look at they talk about how the RPF's been closed, maybe, if you believe it. Um, they talk about how they closed all their ranches and that they are um, not forcing abortions. And you hear, uh, you see, I saw a video from the news from a place in Clearwater where the volunteer ministers were taking food and water and patching holes. And I'm going, oh, good. They're doing, oh, okay, so if you believe they're cleaning up their act, they've still done some horrible things. There's criminals walking free and they need to be held accountable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And not only that, but like with the children, like a lot, you know, one thing that, that really upsets me and why Mary and I spoke up is some of us are still
still dealing with trauma, with PTSD, and like, I know of one girl who's out on the street, but because she's an illegal PD, because she's had meltdowns and been in, in and out of psychiatric institutions, they don't care, and they're just letting her be on the street, you know, and her parents are still in the field, and there's no accountability for anything, and yeah, there's the horrible crimes, but I believe that a lot of us, I don't know, just even acknowledgement, like saying the ranch is closed is not enough. Yeah, those people were still there. Public apology. There needs to be some ownership of the fact that they did this. And even our education paid for something. I don't know. They're paying, you know, PI exorbitant amounts of money when they could just be helping the people that, you know, were hurt by action. I don't know why they don't just do that and instead they just attack everyone. That reminds me, you're, you're making a great point. You mentioned schools. What did you learn in Scientology school? Um, I learned a lot about Scientology. <laughs> right. Did you learn world history? Did you learn math or science? or? You know, they have these things called A, B, and C. So it's the reading, writing, or arithmetic. Um, and the reading is basically just a multiple question. You kind of get tested in what areas you're in. Thankfully, I was a very curious child. I love reading. I read all the time to speak my bullies. So, um, I was fine on the reading. I got my reading certificate pretty well. Writing, you just have to do some, like, handwriting. Uh, they're called, uh, uh, the courses have, like, you have, like, basically a checklist that you go through and certain handwriting practices that you do. And then math is just basic, basic math, like arithmetic. And you didn't learn any algebra or, like, or even like fractions, we learn very basic, uh, not multiplying or adding or anything, but um, they, uh, yeah, we didn't, we did not learn much. I'm actually surprised I even got my California High School Persistency exam. Like, I got that when I was 13, I was at Asha Foundation, and at the time, the schooling was only on Saturdays, so there was Saturday school for the young adults, and because I worked in foundation, which was nice and weekend, they said I couldn't go to school. So I stopped school at 13. You weren't allowed to go to school? No. My boss said, my senior said no, <laughs> you have to be on exam, and I said, no, that's my schooling, I'm 13 years old, and so I went to basically my boss's bosses, my senior senior, and she was also like, no. You're going to be in, like, serious ethics trouble if you blow uh, your post. And so I quit school at 13 years old. Did you ever notice or see if any officials, any law enforcement, like, you know, um, truant officers, uh, the police that handle uh, students missing school or kids not in school, ever on the premises, ever checking things out? Do you know if any of that ever happened? Oh, that never happened. No one even looked to see. Wow. You need to start doing that. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was 13 when I quit school. And the thing was, is I loved school. I used to do my own research projects. Like, I learned about world history mostly through my own. When I was at the ranch, um, you know, I was kind of a nerd. So I would just open an encyclopedia and I would, like, look at pictures and see things that interested in me. And I would do a research project, which is how I found out about I, like, I saw a picture of Harriet Tubman, and I, I remember looking at her eyes in the photos, and I was like, this woman was fascinating with her story. And so I read about her, and then from there I did a whole research project on Harriet Tubman, the Underground Railroad, and then I found out about the Civil War, and then the same thing happened with, like, the Holocaust. I found out about the Holocaust, and then World War II, and Hitler. Uh, like, I just learned about, you know, totalitarianism, fascism, all that stuff. Like, I learned on my own. Um, to remind you? To there were so many other people, though, that weren't doing that, that weren't that interested. They didn't have any teachers or tutors, like, helping them. And there were some people that were teenagers. Until they were in the theater, they could barely read or write. Wow. You know? Yeah. When you read about all this patriotism, did you did it remind you of what you've been living through? Um, sort of, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, we were brought up very kind of military-esque style, so it was something I kind of related with, and I understood. And, like, the Holocaust, you know, fascinated me. Hitler, this 
that whole idea of I mean, Stalin and all that, like all the different dictators that kind of like, it, it was a fascinating subject for me, and probably for a reason, but I didn't put two and two together. And Right. All right. Uh, so since you've been out, I've seen, you know, I've been uh, stalking your Facebook. Well, I mean, I, I say stalking, but you accepted the friend request, so I've been seeing your Facebook. And you do a lot of traveling. You've been even having some fun, huh? Like I think that's one way of, for me for uh, to educate myself and also to, like, understand people is traveling, you know? You, you get to meet so many different kinds of people and different cultures and see that, you know, the world is not so horrible. I just felt for a long time the world was a very dangerous place. And I think kind of traveling makes you surrender and realize that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all the same. Wow. We're all the same. And it's just a beautiful thing. So, yeah, for me, it's getting outside my comfort zone. I'm actually a very anxious, fearful person. So this is kind of a exercise for me to really get out of my comfort zone and do things and experience things that I never could have in years. Honestly, that's one thing that really gets me sometimes. Like, I'll be driving down a road and I can do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. And then I'm reminded I could have done this had I stayed in years. Wow, making the best yeah. of every moment, huh? But yeah, yeah, basically. Although hopefully I'll settle down. It's not like I don't want to stay in <laughs> Enjoy life, man. So in the meantime, in the meantime, live it up. Yeah, yeah, you do things. You've been doing things that I haven't had a chance to do. It's awesome. It's really great. <laughs> wow. Well, you have you've had so many great insights. You've been so um, open, and I really do appreciate that. Um, yeah, what, sorry if I ramble. No, you know. I can't imagine there's gonna be a whole lot of people listening to this that aren't gonna be glued to uh, every word. To be honest. Um, yeah, you're, you're good. You're good. Uh, what I do at the end of every interview, if you're up for it, is something called 10 questions. Some of them are important questions or deep questions. Some are funny or goofy or just silly. And if you don't like a question, you can pass. Do you want to participate? Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. 10 questions with Sina Kamula. Uh, question number one. <laughs> Favorite adventure since leaving? It seems like you've gone on a lot of adventures. You talked about the outdoors. What have you done that uh, really stood out to you? Hard one. That's a hard one. I can't pick a favorite. Um, oh. Okay, it's a toss up between attempting the Pacific Crest Trail, which I got injured on. And I oh. But I got about I got about 650 miles in, so that was my first long distance backpacking experience. And the people were incredible. The trail was incredible. You realize how little you survive, um, and just how, you know, amazing nature is. So maybe that, yeah, it's a toss-up between that or Scotland. That has a pretty big one. <laughs> yeah. Alright, alright. Number two, you've been to a few states now, I think. Wait, what's your favorite state so far to pass through? Ah, uh, okay. These, like, favorite questions is really hard for me, because I don't usually take favorites. You just like everything. I would say right now... I don't know, because it depends on, like, what time of the year. Is there, like, a specific time of the year? Your favorite summer spot. <laughs> Your favorite summer spot you've been in. Um, oh, my God. What Montana. stood out the most Montana? Montana right now. I'll go back to you right now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool deal, cool deal. We'll change it up a little bit here. Number four, true or false? I know the answer to this, and it's funny to hear you say it. There is life after Scientology. Yes, true. Absolutely. People need to hear that. Number five, um, I'm sure you're still working on what you're going to be doing um, uh, for work in the long run. I think you have goals, maybe. Do you have any goals? Is there a dream job for you? You know, there's two things. I'm kind of, like, hesitant to speak about it. I feel like it's this thing. Oh. But I will say it, I was going through what I was going through. I was looking for people that understood, you know, coal. 
yeah, and there's only one person in SoCal that does that type of work. And I think me having experienced what I've experienced and wanting to help people, which is like my biggest thing, is probably becoming a therapist and helping not just with trauma, but also cult-related, you know, trauma. And doing a lot of studies and uh, working with people on that, I think that would benefit a lot of people. Extremely noble. I appreciate appreciate you for thinking that way. It's pretty cool. Uh, number six, uh, I pretty much think I know this answer too. Outdoors or indoors activities? Outdoors. Do you have an indoor activity that you that you just love doing though? Indoor activity. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, bowling, movies. You know. So I'm living in my van, so it's kind of like you're forced to be outside. You don't want to just like stay inside and watch movies. So no, outdoors choice for now, right? You you're, you you are actually choosing this, this, this van life for now. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I'm kind of surrendered to the universe. That sounds so cheesy, but like I'm trying to just go and experience as many things as I can. Um, but right now, I need to go back to Finland and take care of my dad. Yes. So, um, it's kind of like I can't start a job at the moment anyway with that looming over my head. So. Right. But it is a choice, but at the same time, it's, it's um, yeah, it's a choice, but it's a choice because it's not like I have family that, you know, that are here that I can stay with, and while well, I pick, pick up pieces, so. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. And by the way, again, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. I really hope uh, you get everything done that you want to accomplish with that. Um, number seven. Oh, no problem. Number seven, favorite music you come across? Oh, see, favorite again. Oh, sorry. What stands out to you? <laughs> well, this is the thing. There's, like, certain things. Like, in snow season, I love the blues. Like, just give me blues any time of the week. Uh, you know, you know, some on anyone. But uh, right now, I'm kind of just, like, a folk. Okay. In the genre. So there's that as well. But then everyone's, I don't know, it's hard. Depends on my mood. Okay. Very good. Uh, number eight, true or false? Queen of the horse stalls is such a blast. True. It's actually kind of fun. You did enjoy that. You did enjoy that. Okay. All right. I enjoyed that. I don't know. Like, I know a lot of, like, for me, the smell of manure. <laughs> it's very nostalgic. Okay. I love the horse stalls. <laughs> I love riding the horses. I love, like, being around them. Okay. All right. Did you get to ride them a lot? Yeah, we got to ride them a few times. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number nine. Uh, cake or donuts? Neither. I'm not a sweet person. Very good. I know. People are not going to eat. They're not going to like me for that one, but it is. Oh, you're not a sweet person. You're not a sweet person. Don't go blame you for being healthy. Uh, uh, number 10, any, any last message, anything we didn't cover, anything you want to say to anybody out there, uh, now at this point? Um, I don't know, I feel like I might think of things, but I feel like I kind of rambled on too, so. No, not, I mean, unless you have anything specifically that you wanted to know more about. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Uh, your mom's still in, right? Yeah, she's still do you, do you want to say anything to her in case she might hear this? I mean, there's a long shot, but... No, she's not going to listen to it. But, you know, I called her. I know people are going to get mad about that. Or, you know, I knew that I was declared, or at least I'm assuming I'm declared since I was on the show. Um, but two days before my birthday, I had a really bad feeling that something bad happened, which makes sense now with my dad. But at the time, I thought it was my mom. So I had this really bad feeling. I was like, I have to call my mom. I don't care that I'm declared. I don't care that she's going to be mad at me. I need to tell her that I love her. And if she ever needs anything, she knows to call me. So I called her and I told her that. So she knows. She knows that despite everything, I'm still her daughter. I will love her. I will love her. And, you know, if she needs any help, I, I will try my best to help yeah. her. You're not the one missing out, Lana. You're not the one missing out. You're doing the right thing. Um, so, 
uh, please stay on the line. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I think people are going to really uh, learn a lot more about you than they knew before, and I think it's important that people hear this. I really hope somebody does something soon about all this because it needs to end. Yeah, I agree. And thank you. No problem. Stay on the line. Uh, Say, go ahead. I said thank you for letting me have my voice. Oh, no problem at all. Anytime. Anytime. All right, so that was Tanya Kamula. Um, very nice uh, statement at the end there. Of course, um, I don't let anybody do anything. I just provide a platform. You you, you have the voice. Um, wow, just a really great, uh, really great interview, in my opinion. Really great girl, uh, that's Tanya Kamula. So next week, uh, on Thursday, uh, we'll be officially, because I had to go back. Uh, actually, I'm going to talk to her tonight. Uh, I have to go back and record, re-record some of the Tara Riley interview. There was some data corruption, but we'll get that fixed up and get that out for you on Thursday of next week. So it'll be a double shot next week on Thursday with Tara Riley on Friday. With the other half of the first episode of the second season of Scientology Aftermath, Miriam Francis, of course, we also talk about the uh, – the reunite the reuniting of Chantel and and, and uh sorry Ramina <laughs> on the Scientology and Aftermath drew a blank there for a second. So uh, we'll have that conversation and uh just look for that uh, Thursday and Friday, Tara Riley and Marion Francis. Uh in the uh meantime for now, uh that about sums it up. Uh thanks for listening and uh stay connected. If I speak for your followers, and I speak for your ex-followers, and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that's bad. They're wrong. Absolutely believe his own bullshit. Now... Does that mean he believed it from day one? I don't know. Hubbard reveals to them that he is the Antichrist. Scientology has not helped you. You have helped yourself. Yes, I'm absolutely positive that happened because I was physically abused in Scientology. We're crossing the line into torture. Do you think there is a rape culture in Scientology? I think that there is a culture in Scientology that Children are not children. So, yeah.